Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Theology and Insanity, your Catholic podcast on all things theology, philosophy, culture wars, all those kinds of things, and a lot of the insanity that goes on in our world. This is Dave Van Vickle, and as always, I'm joined by my uh, co-host here, Dr. Mike Cirilla. Mike, how are you doing? I'm fine, David. How are you? I, I'm good. I'm good. How are uh, How's Steubenville right now? So, uh, it's okay. Yeah. You know what? I'm just going to say this right now. It's yeah. a wonderful town and a wonderful university. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I love it's it. It's full of wonderful people, yeah. and uh, and we're all broken and fallen, you know. Yeah. But but it's just a blessing. We're very blessed. Yeah. Cannot complain. It's wonderful to be here in Lent. Yeah. How about how about you? How are things in the old Peaberg? Uh, they're good. Yeah. I mean, it's like you know, the, uh, it's we we've beaten Seattle for the least sun in the last yeah. ten years. You oh know, my like gosh. so it's just like that kills me. But it's thawing out. I've got my deck all cleaned off. I, I bought myself a nice box of cigars. I'm I'm out there now, so it's like uh, nice. So nice. it's nice and everything. But uh, hey, what uh, what classes are you? Te- you know, I always like to ask, what classes are you teaching right now? Well, I'm teaching two on ground classes: uh, theology of Christ, yeah. no, no, theology of the church to undergrads, and Christology to grad students. Okay, and it's just a treat. It's a blessing. And then um, I'm teaching a bunch of online graduate classes. Um, some of which you've taken. One is uh, uh, theology, uh, fundamental theology, and oh, another yeah. is is uh, uh, Trinity, Christology, and Soteriology. Yeah, it's just study of Jesus and study of the Trinity. I would say this is what I would say is so, and and had nothing to do with you. Obviously, I love you as a teacher, but fundamental theology was the hardest class for me to get through because I grew up in the age of apologetics, right? And I was kind of like. It wasn't that I wasn't learning anything, but it was like I had heard everything. So it was hard for me not to like devour books and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like whereas right, like, right, with right. Christology, it's like I just wanted I want to know every every every, you know. So yes, yes. Yeah, it's interesting. But um hey, let me ask you this. You keep you, you did this twice already. You distinguish between theology of Christ and Christology. Yeah, at the university we have an undergraduate class theology of Christ and a graduate class called Christology. So it's a difference in the title of the course, but there is a theological difference as well. For the undergrads, theology of Christ includes both what we call Christology, which is the study of the person and natures of Christ, who and what he is. He's one divine person who has a human nature and a divine nature united in that one divine person. And soteriology is the study of the oh, soter, the savior. Okay which is a study of the saving words and deeds of Jesus. Um, but they're really intimately connected because, sure. uh, in a sense, the core saving deed is God becoming a man and, and reuniting humanity with, divi- with, the, with God in becoming a human, right? So at the sense, at the heart of Christology is soteriology. So on the grad level, we have a class called Christology where we focus more on the kind of metaphysics of the Incarnation and, right. Um, but you you can never, and we don't. I I don't avoid the questions of soteriology because they always come up. Yeah. So yeah, that's uh, interesting. But it's a deeper. And, it's a deeper dive on the grad level. Yeah, I I love I love that class, and I love yeah yeah. And so soteriology has been like my obsession for the last year and a half, and I realized oh, that's right. Now, We've been talking about that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I've been realizing like I maybe got a little too crazy about the incarnation as far as soteriology goes like i mean i know like it's it's I, I, not that you could go too crazy but like i was reading lots of Irenaeus, and 
it like I all there were definitely times where I was making statements that was like the like it made it sound like the cross wasn't necessary or something like that. Okay. And I'd hear myself okay. and I'd be like, okay, I got to dial it back here. Like incarnation important, cross, you know, like important. The like, cross so. is central. Right. But I mean, there are theological issues, right? Um, could God have saved us in a different way? I mean, theoretically, yes, but the cross itself is arguably the the most perfect uh, manifestation of His unimaginable love for us, you know. Sure, sure, sure. So. Awesome. Hey, well, today, uh, if you're joining us for the first time, you know, uh, it's our title for this podcast is just a little hat tip to Frank Sheed, you know, one of the greatest Catholic communicators of all time, uh, wrote the the amazing book, Theology and Sanity. And so we uh, just changed it a little bit and talked about theology and insanity, uh, which is what we're seeing in the world right now. And it's an exciting time, too, because just recently, uh, Pope Francis has um, issued, a, well, I don't know what it is, a, a, a motu proprio or something, asking the bishops of the world to join him in consecrating Russia and the Ukraine to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Uh, and... Um, I mean, obviously, everybody who follows Fatima is thinking like, well, is this what's going on here? What are we doing? You know, is it just a consecration? What's in his mind here? You know, what what are your thoughts here, Mike, on, on this? Oh, my goodness. So there are so many thoughts, right? Yeah. Um, so I read the Vatican. It was a bulletin, a bulletin okay, note a in bulletin. the Vatican. Um, and, then, and then I think his request to the bishops is coming through the papal nuncios in right. different countries. Right. They're issuing the invitation to the bishops of the different countries, you know. If you you can see some people, if you poke around on social media, you'll see the letter of the nuncio to the United States uh, sent to all the U.S. bishops. But in this bulletin notice on the Vatican website, it just says that, um, I don't have it in front of me, but I do recall it, that the Pope is going to, on March 25th, the Feast of the Annunciation, um, the Pope will be consecrating Russia and the Ukraine to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, and and that's it. Okay, so it's so it's cool, right? That's yeah, really yeah. amazing. Awesome. <laughs> He's not saying anything about Fatima, um, which is probably wise, <clears throat> because right. I think there's a lot of difficult. There's a lot there's of baggage. There's the and the baggage is it, some of it at least is a disagreement among Catholics as to whether or not the consecration that Our Lady requested it at Fatima was. Uh, fulfilled either by Pius XII or by John Paul II. Right. So yeah, there's I think, a lot of controversy about that. Right. And so, like, I mean, it's funny because I looked on, there's a there's like a Catholic um, news reporter. She's based in Rome, and she's she's American. And uh, she she's just constantly, her, 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 pay, her Facebook page is basically just like a constant battle zone for, for you know, different things in the church. And it like certainly it was very strange because some people came right out and basically dismissed the consecration completely. And, you know, I'm sitting there thinking, even if it's not, uh, even if Pope Francis isn't answering Our Lady of Fatima's call, um, consecration is awesome, right? I mean, this is the way to do it, right? Like Mary crushes the head of the serpent. Like let's, let's, let's get behind this, right? I mean, there's nothing bad about this so i think no no that i that think i think that's right no matter how i love eric uh salmon's article in crisis magazine last week where okay. he's, he kind of lays it all out um and he doesn't take sides but he says exactly what you just said that regardless this is a very good thing especially yeah. for the pope who has 
authority over the whole world. Right. He does. He, he, right. His diocese is the is the world, you know, and right. in, in a very real sense. And so he can consecrate Russia. So, but the the, uh, the to, to summarize the controversy just for a second. Yeah. Uh, people will say, well, look, Pius the Twelfth consecrated Russia by name to oh, the Immaculate okay. Heart of Mary, but okay. he didn't do it in union with all the bishops. He didn't okay. ask the bishops to join him. Um, so actually, we should back up a bit. So Mary, according to Sister Lucia's um, claims, Our Lady uh, appeared to them and, one of the th- and said many things. And one of the things she requested was that <clears throat> the Holy Father, in union with the world's bishops, consecrate Russia to my Mary's Immaculate Heart um, in reparation for sins against the Immaculate Heart, and and so that hadn't been done. That was so that she, Lucia, uh, shared that message, promulgated it, <clears throat> but the Holy Fathers did not respond for for a little while, a couple decades, and so another message came, and I don't know the date. And I think this is all in Eric's article on Crisis Magazine online. <clears throat> Where Mary said to Lucia, um, uh, "The consecration uh, has to be done, but it's going to be done by a pope uh, when it's almost too late." You know, okay, <clears throat> right? There's going to be a lot of delays. So then, Pius XII consecrated Russia to Our Lady, but didn't invite the world's bishops. And <clears throat> now, here's where it gets muddy in my head, at least. Uh, <clears throat> apparently, Luce, Lucy, Sister Lucy, said Lucia said that. Uh, Mary claimed that that wasn't, you know, what she asked for. Now, here's where it, where it gets kind of funny and odd, right? And I, I lo- that's why I love Eric's approach and the approach that you articulated a few minutes ago, David, um, that you can really get caught up in, uh, even on, uh, like almost like a scrupulous level, right? Sure. Of getting, what was it done? Exactly like this, or else right. no grace is going to happen, right. or whatever. Right. Okay, that's crazy. <laughs> so that's not hel- helpful, but... In broad strokes, Pius XII consecrated Russia, didn't invite the world's bishops. JP II invited the world's bishops, but consecrated the world, didn't specifically mention Russia. Right. Um, it, it's somewhat well known that uh, Cardinal Bertone, I think, uh, back when uh, John Paul II was pope, um, in uh, he said that Sister Lucia, in a letter of 1989, personally confirmed that John Paul II's solemn and universal act of consecration corresponded to what Our Lady wanted. So apparently uh, Sister Lucia wrote in this letter, yes, it was done just as Our Lady had asked on March 25th, 1984. So that was John Paul II's point. Is that, uh, I think generally people back then when Bertone released this statement, this is in the early 2000s, where before the sexual abuse crisis and all sorts of other things in the church blew up. Yeah. Right. That people were more, regular Catholics were more inclined to just believe that. Right. I think now, <laughs> right? There's few. You know, you know, there's, we've seen Bertone's kind of showed his cards and, a lot. Yeah. Oh my goodness! Right. Yeah. So yeah. is it true or not? Look, it doesn't matter because right now what we have is Pope Francis consecrating Russia and the Ukraine. And people go, oh, our lady didn't ask for Ukraine. Well, she, in seven, 1917, when she requested it, Ukraine was part of Russia. Part of it, right, okay. right, so, right, right. So uh, Russia and the Ukraine, in, and he's inviting the world's bishops, okay, uh, to our lady's immaculate heart. So yeah. even if you think it was never done, I think this will satisfy it. But but then the more interesting question is um, about consecration and 
what, what that is and right what it means. What yeah. can we expect for it? And I think the extensive reasons for the Holy Father doing this is is for uh, uh, an end to the war, to the to the to the war. I mean, obviously, right? Yeah, I think it's going to be awesome to see what happens. I mean, this is yeah. uh, it's real. And you know, the thing is, I, I've been thinking about this like a lot lately. Like it's you know, like you said, you can kind of like almost like obsess over like was it done, was it not done, or something like that. And it's, it's, I don't know, it's just like, it's such a, it's almost turning like the faith into magic, you know? Whereas like, yeah, like, I mean, what we're trying to do is just pray with faith here, right? Like just, it's a pretty normal thing for us to do. And to like, you know, it's just like Padre Pio would always like say, like, I put it, put it in Mary's hands or put it in Mary's, like, that's what the Pope is doing. Although the Pope can do it in a more serious way than we can, you know? I mean, he, he. Uh, like you said, his whole world, the whole world is his diocese in a sense. Um, so you so know the I, Fatima. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah go ahead. No. Well, you know the Fatima. It, the issue was, or one thing we didn't mention yet is, Our Lady said Russia will spread her heirs throughout the world, and that's why she wants the consecration uh, of Russia. And then she said, after that will come the triumph of my Immaculate Heart in an era of peace. Right. Okay. So let me ask you this: What do you think? I mean, I have my thoughts too, but it's. It's difficult question. What are the heirs of Russia? Is that fair? Can I ask you that? Well, okay, so I, I mean, I'm yeah, in the risk of like just getting destroyed by people on Twitter. I mean, don't you think the heirs <laughs> of Russia were risk. spread, right? I mean, oh my goodness! Like, yeah. think well, of universities. Think? think of universities. Okay, now are basically teaching things that were on propaganda posters in Russia. You know, during the communist revolution, I mean, this yeah. is crazy. And yeah, I mean, even 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 look at like just recent history of elections and stuff like that. That like they were messing around with with like all that kind of stuff. I mean, could that be it? Yeah, I think probably it could be for sure. Yeah, I think the um, so she said this was it maybe just before the 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 communist the Bolshevik revolution. Right before that, so it was really interesting because what are you talking about? The heirs of Russia—they have a czar, they're they're Eastern Orthodox, you know, whatever. Right. Yeah, but right. but these are—I the, think you're right. That's my inclination too, Dave. I, yeah. Is that the heirs are communism? So what are these heirs? Right. The, the central one of the central heirs is it's a materialism, which means yeah. there's no spiritual reality. So there's right. no God. Right. There's no soul. There's no angels. Right. And we have widespread kind of at least agnosticism or atheism, practically speaking, even if people nod to a god of some sort. Um, I think there's a kind of uh, practical atheism, that is, people living as if there were no God. Yeah. But connected with that, too, is a real, a real program in Russia. This was played out, and it played out in other countries as well, to get rid of distinctively Christian, because Christian, Christianity especially is the opium of the people, right? right. So get rid of the Christian notion of family, they wanted yeah, kids to be right. raised by the state, yeah, in a sense. The village, right? right yeah. Get rid of get yeah. Get rid of the fa- notions of the family. Uh, get rid of religion, okay, or privatize it out of ex- you know existence, um, and then uh, o- open up. And there's actually evidence of Russia, of Soviet Russia, promoting this in the United States. When after the fall of communist Russia, the a lot of private or secret papers were released that they they promoted homosexuality. The right. di- divorce culture, uh, pornography, et cetera, to just to, to, to just erode our sense of the solid, solidity and 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 uh, lifelong stability and permanence of marriage. 
Right. Okay? Right. So so divorce, uh, homosexuality, um, now the transgenderism, and then all these critical race theories and other critical theories are Marxist in their in their core because the Marxist idea is to foment a resentment and a hatred for those who are the oppressors. Yeah. And it really, it's not Christian, right? Christianity is a forgiveness. Right. Without being a doormat, we're not to be walked on. We, we, you know, we don't pretend sin is not sin. Uh, we stand up for the, those oppressed. At the same time, we don't stand up for them by op- oppressing the oppressors or hating right, the yeah, oppressors. Right. Okay. So. It, it, you know, I, I don't know where I read this, but um, it, I, I can't remember. I know it was in high school when I read it, but like uh, I was reading about McCarthy, you know, when he was like accusing everybody of being communists or. or really being accused of accusing everybody of being communist that a big part of his like kind of um crusade was against pornography and that they were just lumped in there because there was a this strong connection between communism and pornography which i had never realized before but um yeah it was like a destabilization of the family that they were going after no doubt and it wasn't just mccarthy so the the committee it was called the House Committee on Un-American Activities. So it's not just communist, it was un-American activities. And you know who was his second uh, with him, like, not in command, but his partner? No. It was Robert F. Kennedy. Oh, yeah, right. right. Robert F. Kennedy with so, McCarthy, they were very close. Yeah, right. And they went after things that were undermining uh, uh, the, the good aspects of the United States of America. Yeah, yeah. Um, so so the, yeah, I'll, I'll, tell you the, I'll tell you the other thing that's interesting is that I was just re- listening to NPR, which, you know, I mean, obviously they're not like going to be like super conservative or, you know, <laughs> right. one, you know, anything like that. And they were talking about how influential Russia is in the UN, that they're like probably the most influential nation in, in the United Nations. And they were talking about, you know, this whole no fly zone thing. And they were saying like, well, that's never going to happen because you'd need the UN's approval and Russia is head of the security Wow. you know, commission or something like that. And then and then the guy went in and said, they're not just head of the security commission, they're head of blah, 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 blah and just named wow. all these things. <laughs> so it's like clearly their heirs have spread, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. they're controlling the United Nations in a sense. So, the fu- it's, so it's funny, right? Because you do have in post-communist, post-Soviet Russia, you do have kind of the presence of orthodoxy. Right, and well, okay. that is Christian. That is Christian, uh, but kind of right. I mean, well, it's weird. The whole thing is is odd. Yeah, um, Putin is ostensibly uh, a devout Orthodox believer, but um, and even uses that, I think, uh, to to justify right his uh, political power yeah. plays. I, that sounds cynical for me to say, I suppose, but that's how I see it. Um, well, no, I mean, part I'm of what he's trying he's to like do is a real devout Christian. I'm not. I'm not convinced right. he's a really devout. Oh, Christian. I'm not either. I think he's a thug. I mean, to, I to, mean, to do what he's doing with Ukraine is not exactly the right thing there. So. Well, and I think there's a. I mean, it's pretty clear that he's a dictator. I mean, you know, he's it, political opponents go missing, they get put in prison, right, stuff like right. that. But also. I, you know, it seems like the the patriarch he seems compromised like crazy. You know that he has a political past that is not good. Right. So does Putin. So does Putin. Right. He was right. uh, he was um, among the upper echelon. He wasn't the head, but he was uh, in the upper echelons of the secret police before the before it was called the KGB. It had another name, and he was in the upper echelons there. He also said in the nineties that the fall. Of the Soviet Empire was was the greatest tragedy in the 20th century, um, but I think uh, 
the vice president for academic affairs at Franciscan is Dan Kempton, and he's been doing a lot of interviews and podcasts on. on he, he's a Sovietologist, right? Uh, his right. special focus is on Soviet, the history of and politics of Soviet uh, Russia. And we had lunch a few weeks ago and talked all about this. It was great. He's a wonderful guy, um, and he said, "Look, it's not that Putin is a true believing communist necessarily. He's a, he's a nationalist." Right. And what he wants is to see Russia spread nationally. So that's a power grab. Um, he's more cynical, as are so many world leaders, in terms of religion. They'll yeah, use it. They'll use it, but right. it's not that that's really central to their lives. Well, it, that's um, that's interesting that you say that because that is another issue that I had no idea about, and that is they um, they have sort of like a uh, superior race kind of thing. The 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 army in particular. Wow, the Russian army, like that's a big deal. That's a big part of their thing. Is that actually I didn't know that. But well, I'm okay, not, so I, somebody was yeah. saying that that's why they're so savage. That they're like, we are the you know the Russian race, you know, like kind of or something like that. Uh, so I don't know what exactly it is, but that's a big part of it, I guess. Yeah, yeah. people are it's saying it's so ironic. Yeah. yeah, it's so ironic because he keeps calling the Ukrainians Nazis, right? Um, right, right. But there is a real movement of like nationalism within Russia. So there is, but it's 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 complex, right? So yeah. some of the soldiers, so it's hard to sift through all the information because there's so yeah. much disinformation too, and right. the media has become consummately unreliable, which right. which, which again right. is also a sign of the Soviet regime, because you know the idea of of a <laughs> of a, a, a media that's not a free press, but rather uh, you know promotes. The ideology of the of certain people in power. It's like Orwell's 1984, or it's like the Soviet Union. That's they're, they're party people, and they just brought propagandize with the ideology of the party. And frankly, our media has become, to some great degree, uh, compromised in that regard with COVID and all the just the the wokeness. Oh my goodness! You mentioned NPR. That's a great. It's like the mouthpiece of Sauron. I mean, it's yeah. it's just really. So it's really hard to sift through and get clear reliable information right now. But apparently some Russian soldiers who had been captured by Ukrainian forces, allegedly, I have to say that because who knows what the truth is here, but allegedly uh, uh, claimed they were told that the peop- they were coming in to liberate right. Ukrainians from not you know the not Nazi types yeah. in the Ukraine, right. Right. and that they would welcome the Russian soldiers with flowers and yeah. cheers. You know, right. and when they came in, they saw that they weren't welcome like that, <laughs> and people were shooting javelin, uh, right. you know, right. uh, missiles at tanks, and, and so they were demoralized. Like because the question is, you see these videos where they they, they don't form. St- strategic alignments like you would expect with tanks. And when they get attacked, they'd, they'd come out and have different lines of troops. They retreated. Yeah. Why? Well, at least one account... They weren't expecting uh, it. Take it for what it's worth. Exactly. Is that they, they were demoralized because they thought they were going to be seen as heroes, whereas they were seen as uh, as the enemies. Anyway, that's a little be- beside the point, because the point is the heirs of Russia. And, and the trajectory of what Our Lady was saying at Fatima is that these heirs of Russia have to be overcome. It's going to spread throughout the world. It's going to really undermine the faith. A lot of souls are going to be lost. I think that was yeah. the concern. That's the right. concern. And the sexual sins are huge. One of those visions of the, I think, was it the second vision of the kids? Yeah. Was all these souls plunging, or maybe the fifth, into hell. Yeah, plunging yeah. into hell. Why are they going to... And Our Lady said, because of sins of impurity. There's so many souls who are lost because this is... And now we have this you know ubiquitous everywhere. We've got pornography and and... It's just, it's 
just heartbreaking and soul crushing, soul crushing and family destroying and, you know, society destroying, um, uh, family destroying. You know, I've never, I have never been a big, um, private revelation person, but it's like, there's, there is something about Fatima that like, it's so important, you know? And like, it seems like we're living in the era of Fatima and need to kind of spread the, 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 the teaching that our lady gave at Fatima. So it's like, I, I always kind of shy away from it. Um, maybe just cause of personal bias, but not with Fatima. Like I have no problem because I think it's so important. Clear, clearly like a mother, she, she diagnosed her children, you know, the world well and told us what we need to do. That, that Dave, that's why I like it too. I have, you know, my own experience may be similar to yours. Over the years, I've encountered some real excesses in right. alleged apparitions here or there or elsewhere and things that were just not healthy, clearly, I mean, indisputably unhealthy, okay, um, and very concerning. And and why? How how does that judgment come about? Because the, the sole thing is, is this, is this, is the trajectory of this uh, alleged apparition or whatever, or message, exhorting people to conversion to Jesus Christ, repenting of sin, growth in holiness, renewal of their lives, solidifying their relationships, and ultimately saving souls, okay? And with Fatima, all those points are hit so beautifully and clearly. It's about, yeah, there's particulars about Russia and things like that, or sexual sins, but the whole point is the Immaculate Heart of Mary is wounded because, not because she is a goddess or the center of everything, no, but because so many sins are committed against her son and against the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and when they're offended, that pierces her heart when they're offended. And so the sacred heart of Jesus is offended. And so the promotion of Fatima is, it's just such a clear, wonderful application of the gospel of repentance and mercy and forgiveness um, and truth, right? Uh, for Catered to our day. So I, I agree with you, David. That's right. This is... Uh, this is really. Uh, that's why I like Fatima too. I think it's very important and very good. Yeah. And so, what what is the what is you know, one thing that da- uh, 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 Eric Salmon said in that article at Crisis was that you don't. It's not ma- and you said this too. It's not magic. Okay. Right. So you don't expect a consecration to occur and then just. Ba- I mean, God can do amazing things. So you don't. You don't not expect Him to do wonderful things. But at the same time, you don't look at this as if it's a magical inc- incantation. It's not. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, Russia and the world would be Catholic again. No. Um, or that the war in Ukraine will stop. Okay, now maybe some of these, these things will happen, but conversion takes time, right? right conversion right. takes time. And, uh, and so maybe we should talk a little bit about, about what consecration is. Yeah, I'd love to. And, and I'll start it out by saying, like, um, I, 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 like, I just feel like, you know, after years of watching, you know, kind of this fight between the church and the devil, like, outside the sacraments, I, w- I would say, like, I've always said that consecration is the most powerful thing I've seen. Consecration to Mary is the most powerful thing I've seen. And uh, in particular, you know, personal consecration, like, pre- preparing for it and everything like that, in whatever method you choose... Um, but I've seen hundreds of souls liberated because of, uh, like 
for instance, St. Louis de Montfort's preparation for total consecration or something like that. And uh, just just recently, I don't, I'm sure you, you probably didn't read it, but um, somebody sent it to me because I think they knew I'd be offended. But uh, an article came out about stop stop recommending people uh, use St. Louis de Montfort's method of consecration. And the reason was is that it uses like words like slaves and right. that we are nothing and we are this and and that it could be a trigger for people who have been like abused or something like that. And I was enraged at the article because I, I understood it for sure. There was no question right. I understood it. But I was enraged at the article because I've watched people who have been horribly abused as children. Like not just not just the abuse you see on movies or something like ritualistically abused, like really awful things. And once again, you can kind of put consecration into that magic book or like that mechanistic book where it's like, well, these words are going to cause a trigger. Well, consecration more than anything is a relationship with our blessed mother, right? And like our blessed mother knows how to tenderly take their child, take her child and, and bring her or bring him into, you know, her fold, you know? And uh, so I want to just start out by saying, like, I believe 100% that this is the right thing to do, and it's the most powerful thing that we can do outside the sacraments, obviously, you know, as far as defeating the, the, the evil one. So, so you said it. it it's, uh, I think, isn't it, it's a horrible misrepresentation of de Montfort's, uh, you know, preparation for consecration to say, uh, to to like home in on slavery right. as as right. if that's that's his big thing like our right. identity is slaves no. like that's right. not in right. no sense does that characterize yes he talks about being a slave to Mary to say that this is a way of just you know slavery is an unconditional unlimited right. everything you I trust are, you everything you possess right. yeah. is given over to the one who 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 to whom you are enslaved so to speak but his but I wouldn't say slavery is his his, it's certainly not his soul, and I wouldn't even say it's his predominant um, metaphor. Okay, no, it's a metaphor no. in a sense. No. It's 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 Mary. Uh, it's John Paul II's motto: "I'm all thine, and all that I all that I have is thine. All that I am and all that I have belongs to you, Mary." Right. So that's the idea. It's an entrustment of your whole being and all your property, all your possessions to her, so she could be the queen over that. Now, you got to respond, Dave, to like Protestant concerns. Don't you yeah. consecrate things only to God? How could you consecrate things? To consecrate, right, is to reserve something, to set something or someone apart for exclusive use and service for God. So if you're consecrating to Mary, you're aren't you making her a god? What what say you to that? Yeah. Yeah. So well, first of all, obviously, I'm gonna jump right to St. Maximilian Colby and say, look. Their wills are united entirely, so it would be very, very impossible for us to give something to God without also giving it to his mother, and vice versa, out to give something to his mother without giving it to Christ. But, but even more than that, I like, I really like the analogy. I, I think it's St. Louis de Montfort who makes this analogy, or it might be Francis de Sales, I can't remember, but he talks about... Uh, you know, if 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 you know that the king loves apples, do you remember this analogy that he used? And and so you you have these wonderful apples from your orchard, and you send them in a basket to the king. Or what you could do is you could give them to his mother, and she knows how to prepare this yeah. apple pie that he yes, has, right? Yes, and yes. she prepares it perfectly. And I think that's a better way to look at it. And even though like probably a Protestant scholar is going to be like, oh, roll their eyes at that, you know, like that, oh, this this Catholic kind of devotionalism or something like that. But truthfully, like, 
it's about a relationship. So that is how we relate to it. You know, that is what we're saying. So I think, you know, th- I've never in my life felt like I was worshiping Mary ever, no. you know. Uh, and, and that would be a sin. Let's right, be real clear. Right. That would be we a mortal sin. We she that, wouldn't right. want that right. any more than St. Paul and Barnabas wanted the Greeks to worship them as gods right. in the New Testament. They're like, no, right. no. You know, right. I- interesting, wouldn't want that. Yeah, interestingly, you know, um, w- w- one of my obsessions is like the the history of, of Lourdes and Bernadette, right? Uh, in particular, like the way the devil, you know, kind of got his, his hooks in after the, the, the apparitions. And, you know, one of the ways that they were evaluating apparitions was, well, what did Mary say? And many, there, there, people who don't know, there were thousands of false apparitions surrounding lords at the time because the devil was trying to cloud it. And w- one of the things they would say is, what did Mary say? A very common thing that Mary would say in these false apparitions is, let's all pray the rosary together. And Mary would pray the rosary, right? right and so herself. the priest would be like, well, Mary's not going to pray it to herself. Like, this right. is insane, right? Like, so they would immediately say that. I mean, that that is the Catholic way of looking at it, is that we're not we're not worshiping her. We're not, right. you know, it's... And it's difficult because translations... I mean, there's a lot of really bad English translations of de Montfort, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so that can be an issue, too. No, so I'm fully with you, David. That's right. Consecration to Mary... Is is giving yourself to Mary so that you can be given to Jesus. That's the whole point. And the theology of it is also so beautiful and so simple. And De Montfort has this. Maximilian Kolbe has this. The great great saints have this way before those guys. Uh, Bernard of Clairvaux, many right. saints that God chose. He could maybe arguably could have done it differently, but he chose to come to us through Mary. He okay, he, right. the source of all grace, right? The infinite treasury of grace in the divine person of God the Son, chose to give us all that through Mary's mediation, through her, through her fiat, through her yes. And therefore he chooses, he, he, he's freely choosing, he freely desires all of us to return to him through Our Lady. Okay, now people who go to him go through Our Lady whether they know it or not because Our Lady is the one <laughs> who gave, made Jesus, you know, by God's providence, her cooperation made it possible for the incarnation. Okay, so whether you like it or not, Mary's right at the heart of, of, the, of, of the gospel. She's at the heart of the gospel of Jesus coming to us. And for you getting grace and coming back to Jesus, it's through Mary. Whether you know it or not, uh, maybe you don't know it as a Protestant, but it's true. It's better to know it and be conscious of this because here's another thing, and this is something Miravalli is big on. Mark Miravalli is a Mariologist at Franciscan, a great guy. Uh, he says, when you, when you consecrate yourself or if you're the head of a family, your family, right, to right. Our Lady, uh, that is giving her permission, and in a sense you're also asking her to come in and do things that she maybe could do otherwise but wouldn't necessarily. Right. Um, it depends on God's providence. Of course, she could maybe do things, uh, uh, help you out, help your family out. But consecrating uh, yourself and people under your authority to Our Lady gives her um, a real, genuine, metaphysical say-so over you know how things are ordered in your life, and yeah. it's not magic. Yep, that's right. And she doesn't violate free will, just like God doesn't either. But so this is relevant to this consecration, regardless of whether the Holy Father's intention is exclusively to end the war or not. Right. He is his intention is to consecrate. That is to set apart for a sacred purpose, Russia and the Ukraine for the Trinity through Mary, through her immaculate heart. What that does, because the Holy Father here, in a way that you and I don't, 
he has a worldwide authority. Right. Um, right. The Pope every oh. year gives an urbis at orbis address. You've right. heard that. Some people have heard urbis at orbis. That's a blessing he gives both to the urb, you know, urbis to the city at and orbis to the world because he is he has authority over the whole world uh, in a way that no individual bishop does, and therefore a papal consecration in union with the world's bishops who together as a college with the Pope as their head all together also have authority over the whole world. Uh, That is a genuine, that includes Russia, that includes Ukraine, as unpopular as it may be to some people to hear that. They have this authority and that's going to allow Our Lady to have a kind of access uh, and to be able to intervene in ways that we can't expect. We we don't know how it's going to happen, but I think it's going to be very important, very powerful, and the whole point is to convert back to Christ, back to uh, the Trinity, uh, to bring about the reign of Christ on earth. Yeah. Um, All right, let me ask you I don't mean you this, that in any kind of weird Masonic way, by the way. i got to make right. it real clear. It, right. it, it, it's, it, it, this is not our final home. He's yeah. not going to come down and reign for a thousand years in person. Okay, I don't mean it that way. But a period of peace, a period yeah. of peace where people will be believers again, uh, transformation of society from the secular. We have communist secular, but we also have Western secular. Yeah. Back to devout Christian, you know, society. Yeah. All right, well, let's let's end with one question I, w- I want to ask you, and that is, uh, you know, the Pope in union with the bishops have this special authority. So what's our role here? What do we do for this consecration? How well, do we participate? I'll tell you what we're, what we're doing at, at St. Peter's Church in Steubenville is um, at noon, so noon Eastern Standard Time is 5 p.m. Rome time, and the po- Pope is going to be doing this in the context of a penance service so it's Friday, it's a Friday Lent, but it's also the Feast of the Annunciation, which is cool. And it's going to be at 5 p.m. in Rome, which is 12 noon Eastern Standard Time. So our parish at 11.45, we're going to pray the rosary. I'm going to have to miss that because I have a faculty meeting. Oh, no. But then at, at, I'm going to get there at noon. They said I could leave early, but I, I need to be at this faculty meeting. But then at noon, we're going to pray the prayers of consecration. I think we're going to say the same prayers, just or at least unite ourselves, because, you know, like we don't have that kind of authority, so we're not right. exercising authority. But there's, I've been like, as you know, before this we started recording t- this morning, I was looking for the text of the consecration. I still haven't been able to find it. They may not have released it yet. It'll we'll certainly know by this Friday. Yeah, uh, we're recording this on Monday, March twenty uh, first. So, uh, so so I just say a rosary. You know, say a rosary. Pray for Russia. Pray for conversion. Pray especially in reparation. This is what Our Lady asked for. In reparation for sins committed against the sacred heart of Jesus and the immaculate heart of Mary. Um, okay, great. Yeah, I think that's awesome. Well, uh, you, you heard it here. I mean, it, this is a, it's a scary time in our world, but also, um, you know, scary kind of equals spiritual poverty, right? Like we're, we're in great need right now, and our, our mother loves to rush in and meet our needs and and our lord is just waiting for us to to express that need to him you know so uh this is a this is a exciting time too so oh it's a great time to be catholic very difficult scary and that's why it's a great time to be catholic yeah right thanks so much for tuning in this has been another episode of theology and insanity join us next time god bless